Hey guys, today I'm with Liz Orr, the very popular Instagram influencer behind Rude Ass Enneagram. And she's the co-creator of the guide for the Enneagram and the type of labor support that you need. So do yourself a favor if you're getting ready to give birth and share this episode with your birth partners. They're going to want to listen to it because we want them to take care of you in the perfect ways. And this episode is going to give them a lot of tools and tips and tricks based on your personality type. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Just a little something before we get started today. And that is, what happens if you don't take Birth Story Academy? So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the Birth Story podcast. And you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like... Do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions, pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition, and like we get into it. We make birth plans, we do birth visions, we listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences, how to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. Like, I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, like 
wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. I am interviewing Liz Orr today of Rude Ass Enneagram. <laughs> I am so excited, Liz. Good to see I'm you. Excited to be here. It's so good to see you. Yeah. So you guys, some if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you know I have another podcast. Thanks. It's the trauma. We interviewed Liz on yeah. the Thanks It's the Trauma podcast, all yeah. about the Enneagram. So that was fun. That was a really fun time. That was a really fun time. I think that was one of my favorite podcast that I've ever gotten to be a part of before. And Nikki, Alyssa and I are Enneagram 789. So that kind of like was just, it was just a great episode. So I'll link to it in the show notes. If you guys want it, this is what I always tell everybody. You're here for a birth podcast, but if you're like a super nosy person and you're like, whoa, I need to know more about ID. Listen on things. It's the drama. So I loved Liz, her Instagram, her energy, everything. And so we actually teamed up after that. And I thought, I'm going to do some Googling here. And I wonder if there's anything to personality type and the birth experience. And I couldn't find anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on to something here. We've got to tie birth support needs to personality type in the Enneagram and so we did it. We did do it. And I, even on my side, when I posted the guide ultimately and the, and the photos, I heard from people who were like, wait, nobody's done this before. So leave it to a seven to yeah. <laughs> find the new frontier. That was amazing and wonderful. Yeah. Well, and it's been so cool because I've been a doula for 18 years and I actually like have a micro community for Birth Story Academy and my doula clients that they're in this Facebook group. And I was able to correctly identify every single one of my clients who birthed in the last year, their Enneagram type, except for one. Ooh, and it was only cool. off by one. Like I said, two, and she was a one. Sure. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh. And you want to know what else, Liz? I couldn't find any fives. Like, <laughs> what's the deal with, what's the deal with Enneagram five? Can we talk about that today too? Oh, we can talk about that. We can talk about fives all day. Yeah. Um, I'm not super shocked. Fives are fives are hard to come by in group things. Well, why? Tell me about it because I'm so confused. <laughs> like, because I was like, do fives just not hire a doula? They, um, it depends on the research they've done. Okay. Um, they're going to, they're going to do extensive research. Um, and they're going to keep researching until they feel like they've made and done enough research to take the next step. But usually there's never enough research in the world for okay. a five. For a five. Okay. All so, right. So, you know, nine months is not quite long enough to, mm. to feel like they've gained expertise. Is it a rare type though? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that actually. Okay. I was just curious. Um, I know, I know sixes tend to be 
one not popular but like a lot of people identify as six um but i don't know about fives fives are just reserved like fives are by their ego structure they are a reserved type they are i mean one of their nicknames is that of the observer so they're going to hang back and watch before diving in and engaging if they do it all huh so maybe it's like they watch all their friends get a doula but they're still like i'm just not sure if that's for me Right. Mm. Exactly. Or maybe that's how they feel about parenting in general. Like, I'll just watch all y'all have babies and then maybe (laughs) decide if that's like maybe not for me or if it is for me. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, it's the it. every parent is going to have their core fear triggered by the thought of parenting. But certainly for a five, there is this fear that I don't have enough to meet the demands of the world, the demands of a little child that I cannot reason with. Um, and so it, it's terrifying, you know, in, in that regard to that particular ego structure, it's terrifying that like they're placing themselves in um, the position of like always having to be on for this other thing that they can't control, you know? Oh my gosh. As a seven parent. I feel a lot of that too. There's so much crossover. All right. So let's get to the basics. Tell us a little bit about you, rude ass Enneagram. And if you could define the Enneagram and like, cause there's some people listening that are like, what in the world? The what now? Is she yeah. The what? <laughs> Where do I take this test? What is this? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So I'm Liz Orr. I am the, um, sole proprietor or the, the chief, uh, creative bully, uh, of rude ass Enneagram. I started rude ass Enneagram, just an Instagram account back in 2018. Um, just as a silly thing. Um, I had seen all these like astrology accounts on Instagram that were making fun of the different astrological signs. And I was like, wait, the Enneagram is really rude. Like it really hurts my feelings. Every time I get an Ennea thought of the day email, Yeah, let's take this angle. Let's be silly with it. Let's, you know. And so I started it. I had no expectation with it and it blew up. Um, and so as it blew up, I kind of came to realize I should probably get trained because people are seriously thinking about, uh, and taking seriously what I have to say. So I went through and got training, um, and yeah, I've just kind of kept, kept up with it. And, um, you know, I'm not a very good influencer in it. Like, I don't, I don't have a schedule. I don't have, (laughs) I just post when I feel mean, um, and somehow still have over a hundred thousand <laughs> followers on Instagram. Jeez, I do. Louise. I, Some of us can't break the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not convinced any one person should have access to that many people's phones, but, um, or screens or whatever, but, but here we are. Um, and so. you're entertaining. So that's why I think entertaining. <laughs> that's true. I do think entertaining Instagrams that make people smile that you should have access to as many people's (laughs) phones as possible, actually. (laughs) Well, that's fair. I think, you know, what I want to do is get you to laugh at your shadow side because I really, I mean, humor can be a defense mechanism that we avoid things with, but it can also really take some of the sting out of our BS Mm -hmm. enough for us to look at it and go, Oh, like 
maybe that's not how it has to be. So, you know, humor is the vehicle for me with the greater like hope being self-love and growth and all of that, that the Enneagram really does provide, which I guess sort of like pivoting into, into that question of what is the Enneagram? It is a really wonderful tool and framework to understand nine different perspectives on the world, nine different beliefs about the world as it exists, and then who we have to be in response to that world. Um, So it's a framework, a language, and um, it's not the only valuable language out there, but it, it can be so wonderfully transformative. And what it really describes is our motivation, right? It's not just this sort of random set of characteristic traits or characteristics or traits. It's what we are motivated to avoid and to appear to other people. And um, yeah, just, just what, what our drive is. Yeah. So I'm a seven. Liz, what are you? I am a mean old type eight. You are an eight. Okay. And that was Nikki. That was Nikki. Yeah. Okay. Well, Nikki is like, really, that's the one we call a soft marshmallow in the inside when you get (laughs) exactly when we get to know the eight. Okay. So in this podcast episode, you guys, we're going to dig into the Enneagram guide that Liz and I co-created for labor support. Like what is, what does this motivation or this personality type of this archetype, your worldview, how does that play a role when you're pregnant with the people that are around you? Because what happens is, is you're going to go inward. Everyone goes inward. Everyone closes. Everyone shuts the door. And so if the people around you understand what are the things that motivate you and keep you safe and what your core fear is, then we can support you best when you're leaning inward and like letting go and birth. So this is going to be an awesome episode. I'm really excited. Yeah. But I have a question for you. So you said you went to like training and you do rude ass Enneagram on Instagram. Yes. Do you have it on like TikTok or anywhere else or are you like just on the gram? (laughs) I, so I am on TikTok for the purpose of posting them on Instagram. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I find you TikTok can be like a fun tool to create more video content. I've made like what type of bagel you are okay. based on your Enneagram type. What part of the Thanksgiving meal are you? I don't do too much with TikTok. Um, people are welcome to follow me. It's rude ass Enneagram, but I use it just as like an, an editing tool really. essentially and then put it over. That's funny. That's exactly how I use it. I like make a reel and then, cause it's just easier. And then I put yes. it up on the IG. Okay. Yeah. As an Enneagram practitioner who's trained yes. now, like do you get paid to like speak or do things with children or like, you know, I don't know, adults. <laughs> Yes. So I do a little bit of one-on-one work. I have like a whole full-time job that has nothing to do with, well, it, it doesn't really have to do directly with the Enneagram. I work in higher education with college students, but I also have a certificate in spiritual direction. So I do some one-on-one Enneagram related work that's somewhere 
in, I mean, I consider it more spiritual direction, even if it's not explicit, if we're not explicitly talking about spirit, divine, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I do occasionally get the opportunity to, whether it's out in the community or at the university that I'm at, sort of hold workshops about the Enneagram, which is awesome and wonderful. And occasionally I'll get paid for those. And if they're at my university, it's, I consider it part of my work. So I don't bill for those. (laughs) So cool though. So this thing that started off as like the Enneagram is rude and I'm going to make these fun things to make people laugh. Like it's really turned into like a side hustle for you. It really you know? has. It really has. So, so let's embrace it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, it's really important to me in my business because I've incorporated it as a tool for my private doula clients. And then I've encouraged it as a tool for anyone taking my online course with Birth Story Academy. And then I've put it out there for free, you guys. So if you want to download this guide, like all you have to do is go to birthstory.com and there's like several places. There's like a pop-up, there's a sign up for it, and then it's under the workbook tab. So it's all on there. And then Liz made me for (laughs) my Instagram, which is birth.story.academy. Liz made one through nine Enneagrams of amazing kind of before and after shots of like kind of making fun of in a rude but sweet way, birth (laughs) and labor and support and kind of like what you think you want versus like reality. And so they were a big hit on Instagram and Pinterest. And so if you guys want to go check those out, they're awesome. And thank you so much for making those. Oh, it was so much fun. And it was really like, it was actually quite moving for me to be really like combing through all these birth photos and see these amazing moments and see the transformation between those like tense initial moments of, of labor. And then, you know, whether it's after birth or whatever it is, they're just beautiful. So it was really a fun project for me and really kind of moving. So. Yeah. And I love the balance of like core fear with power and motivation and worldview. So are you ready to dig in? Let's rock and roll. Okay. All right. Let's start with Enneagram one. Like, what do you know about ones and where did we land on the type of labor support that a one needs? <laughs> yes. So type ones, they often have this archetypal name of being the perfectionist or the reformer. Um, you know, the high side of one is that they, these are folks of unfailing integrity, um, really high standards. I like to think of them as the stubborn optimists of the Enneagram because they believe that the world can and should be better. And uh, some of their traps that they fall into is some real rigidity, a lack of flexibility. They struggle to forgive themselves. And they have this core fear that um, the flaws within them, the mistakes, the messiness, even like you know, the, the, I call them the spicier emotions, right? Like anger, um, resentment, whatever they, they fear that those are revealing of a deeper rot within them. Like there is something wrong with them. And that's terrible because they see the world as this broken, corrupted place. Um, they hope and believe that it can be better, but oh my God, what if this thing within me can't be redeemed and I am just contributing 
to the garbage of the world. Oh my (laughs) gosh. And I can't even imagine perpetuating that to pregnancy and bringing a child into that world. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There's just so much internal pressure they place on themselves to be perfect in whatever it is they do. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about like, what do you think that are, is the type of like labor support that they need, you know? Um, Yeah. But what do you think as someone who's a type one imagining this ideal or perfect situation, like, um, and it seems like something that would be really difficult is pivoting, right? Like being flexible with a birth plan. Yep. Um, that that's going to be a major growing edge for a one, um, is that adaptability, that ability to just like roll with, okay, this is not what I planned. This is not what I researched and expected. Um, but this is what we have to do. Um, and I think, you know, I think there really is something deeply supportive for the one in, being given the space to be messy and angry and imperfect. Um, and yeah, just being given that permission and like not flinching when the one cannot contain all of their frustration and their anger with the process. And, um, you know, ones are in the body center and there's this real like urgency to all of the types eight, nine, and one in the body center. And so a lot of the frustration of the one can sort of be amplified by like, why is this not going according to plan right now? (laughs) Yeah. Why am I not in control right now? Yep. And this one in the guide, it's named the McKenzie. And McKenzie is a one. And she's actually one of, she's the one in the um, Enneagram um, picture graphics that you made, Liz. And McKenzie is like literally like the typical, like, you know, she's got her master's degree from Harvard. And the reason that I picked her for this one is because she was like the, you know, she really was, you know, nervous about a lot of things and had experienced um, multiple losses. Mm. And that was very difficult for her to be able to kind of like let go in the fact that her body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, which is keeping a baby and letting the baby stay. And so like, As her doula and her, you know, she's married. So her spouse had to give her that permission to really to yell and to be angry and to roar and to like come to terms with the fact that like um, she's not defective, that she suffered a miscarriage. Um, And in her birth, um, when she did give birth, um, her birth started with her water breaking when she wasn't in labor, which is so normal. It happens like 15% of the time, but man, her, as her birth team, we had to like wrap around her and help her like really come to terms with the fact that like, this is the new normal, right? Like, and that you're just going to have to let go and not, there is no such thing as perfect. Meaning like, in her mind, I think perfect was like, 
well, at 40 weeks, contractions start and then labor (laughs) progresses and then eventually my water breaks. And instead it was like, your water breaks and you're not having any contractions and like having to pivot. So reassurance that everything that was happening and everything that she was doing was normal and okay was key for for type one for McKinsey. Is there anything that you would add to that? No, I mean, that's a, that's a like beautiful illustration of that. And um, yeah, it's, it's all about sort of supporting the one to release and like, let the process be what it is, regardless of what they planned or what they think it should be. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk about type two. Type twos, sweet little type twos. Um, Type twos are... Again, they have this archetypal name of the nurturer or the provider. And these are your warm and fuzzy care bears of the Enneagram. Um, Twos have a beautiful gift of knowing how to just provide for others. They just intuit what someone needs without them even having to say it. Um, They are deeply relational and are just generous people, but the traps that they can fall into um, is really like neglecting their own needs. Um, They have a hard time even identifying their own needs um, because at their core, there is this belief about the world that there isn't enough love. There certainly isn't enough love for them and that they have to um, earn any love that they can feel. So they are going to have a hard time in birth receiving, receiving care, allowing themselves to be the center of care, um, not taking care of everybody else. Like that is going to be a really difficult challenge for the two in labor. Yeah. And so this one I named in the guide, the Haley. And, and one of the things that had come up was a core fear too of if the baby would love her, you know, to like this instant connection with parenting that I think kind of plagues a lot of people is like, I'm bringing this life into the world and like, I love them so much. And are they going to love me back? Um, what I found in Haley's birth was that having the right birth team to support her as a two was the most important thing because she was so highly susceptible to like people pleasing and like, Oh, okay. I'll do whatever the hospital tells me to do. And I'll take all the, you know, you can poke me here and touch me here and do all the procedures because I'm so afraid of jeopardizing the relationship with my, um, you know, gynecologist or obstetrician that I've been with since I was 18 years old and I'm afraid to say no. So as her birth team and her doula as a two, we really had to like come around her and encourage her that there was that relational safety, that no matter what her choices were for her body, that we loved her anyway. Yes. Yeah. Two, two things that sort of popped into my mind as you were sharing that Um, that fear is like around, like, is the baby going to love me? That is such a a perfect reflection of what, um, types two, three, and four, all of these heart center types, um, 
they, they often find their worth reflected in their relationships. They believe that their worth is reflected. They, their relationships become these mirrors for them, for their their worth. And so they're, they can be very sensitive to rejection and the fear of like, you know, is, is this child going to reflect back to me? The love that I have for them is, is a deep fear. Um, and then the other thing that you were talking about this, this like wrapping around and, and advocacy that needs to happen for the two, um, because again, yeah, you're right. They will go, they will people please, they will go with whatever, um, whoever's in front of them is, is saying, whatever that is, they tend to be very agreeable, um, sometimes to their detriment. And so for a birthing team to be able to advocate, um, for the two and to give the two space to access some of the yuckier feelings of frustration, anger, like, Hey, you're not seeing me. Um, cause twos, twos have a hard time of, um, you know, advocating for themselves and, and allowing themselves to acknowledge that they're getting pissed off. <laughs> like yeah. that relationship is so important to them that they, they don't even want to acknowledge that they're frustrated within it or that their needs are not being met within it. So if a birth team can give the two that space to be like, wait, no, this doctor is not hearing me or is not recognizing my needs and let them like get pissed about it so that they can advocate. That's really powerful. So powerful. Now, I believe everyone needs and deserves a doula. But I when I was going through the guide with you, I was like, oh, the twos, like the twos were like, you really need a doula like to you yeah. need to move from like the helper giver to the receiver. And it, the yes. easiest way to do that is by paying someone aka a doula <laughs> to do that yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so what about type threes that performer, like achiever type. Yes. The superstar. Um, <clears throat> threes are just gorgeous people, regardless of what, uh, how, how different they all look. Um, threes, uh, yeah. Performer achiever again in that heart center. So they're looking for the reflection of their worth outside of themselves. Um, and, these folks have a gift for making things happen and kind of making things look really easy. Um, they achieve great things. They kind of manifest great things. Um, they bring a lot of value to their world, to anything that they touch. <clears throat> but that fear that I am only worth what you can see that I've done, what, you know, what you, the demonstration of, my value is the core of my value. It's not, there's not something deeper um, that creates this dynamic where they become very afraid of failing. They become very afraid of missing the mark because any little tarnish to the facade or the reputation will just bring the whole house of cards down. So um, they can get very frustrated when things aren't happening um, they can get very frustrated when they can't make things happen. Um, and they get very impatient with their own emotions because those emotions can get a, in the way of productivity. So that can be a real um, challenge for the three in labor is like allowing themselves to feel <laughs> and being patient with the process 
rather than thinking that it's, you know, it, it's taking too long or whatever. They need to be on to the next thing. Yep. That's exactly it. Like when I named this the Lauren, Lauren went all the way to 42 weeks gestation. And, you know, only about 10 to 15% of people will make it that far, right? The average for a first time birthing person is about 41 weeks in a day, you know, which means like 50% of people have given birth by then. So Lauren, as a type three, like she really didn't understand like going over her due date. Like she thought like there's a clear end point here. I do this pregnancy thing and then it's over at this point. Um, And it was kind of, you know, hilarious for me as her birth support person um, helping her go the extra mile and like telling her, you know, there's the result is still there. The baby is still coming, even though you're over 40 weeks, you know, she couldn't kind of see it um, to believe it kind of thing. And, um, and the other thing about Lauren, that a sweet little baby angel, Lauren, that I love is that she was hilarious because she really, um, and type threes really do kind of care about what other people think about them, you know? And, um, she, a lot of people bring in a birth mirror so that they can see the baby be born. And in Lauren's case, we brought in a birth mirror because she wanted to do her hair and makeup right before the baby was born so that she was meeting her son Maverick when she looked her best. And it was so type three, Liz, don't you think? That it, yes, image so. is very important. And it's funny because again, they're gorgeous. We're all gorgeous people, but like threes are, you know, you kind of, you kind of think of them as the archetypal, just beautiful person without having to put much effort in, but they think they have to put so much effort in. Yeah. It was so cute though. She was like, I just have to be perfect when I meet my that baby, you know? <laughs> um, so the next one I love talking about too, type four, the romantic, yes, the individualist. The artist. Yes. Okay. <laughs> tell me all about type four. Type fours. Um, <laughs> Type fours are funny. I'm whatever I say, one, some type four will say, well, she didn't get this piece. She didn't get this piece. (laughs) And that is very typical of type four because, um, they, they have this beautiful gift of an attunement to beauty and depth and mystery and meaning. They really are the people who like plumb the depths of experience of our, our human experience, and they bring meaning to it. They make their relationships these special experiences, um, <clears throat> but they feel deeply misunderstood. And there is this core fear within them that ultimately like they are not meaningful. They don't have significance. And so to compensate for that, they perform how meaningful and special they are. They are unique. They are different. They want to be seen as distinct. Um, and they can, they can do some of that performance. Um, and so they get frustrated with, um, boredom. They get frustrated with shallowness, what they perceive to be shallowness or anything that's kind of like mundane. They get frustrated when, um, they are like anybody else. Um, and so what can be a real challenge in the, um, 
and the birthing process I can imagine is just like when there, I mean, there are like kind of, for lack of a better word, there are administrative moments in giving birth, right? Yeah. There are common moments in giving birth where the four is not going to feel all that special meaning, that special significance, and they're going to get a little sassy about it. Yeah. So this one is called the Lindsay. And when Lindsay hired me, which is, I feel like such a type four, right? Like she was a type of person that she, she was like, I just always saw myself adopting, not actually like just getting pregnant, how easy, ordinary and boring that would be, you know, (laughs) but the, the, the glory to her of this like adoption process was really kind of like what she saw as super special and which is very cool. But she ended up um, with an unplanned pregnancy and, and having to embrace that. And so the, the, when I look back at Lindsay's birth as a four and the romanticizing of it, I would say was because she was so afraid of it. We had, she kind of made herself romanticize, I think, birth mm-hmm. in a way where like the ambiance was like so important. Like it, like, like the twinkly lights and the candles and like the right mm-hmm. essential oil and like yep. the playlist, you know, yep. like the right music. I'm talking about the outfit for going home and the first yep. photos and like yep. really making it special. And so like as the doula and the birth partner, like I just was like, oh my gosh, you um are working so hard to have a deep connection to this mm. pregnancy that mm-hmm. started out as unplanned, you know? Right. And you right. she, I felt like she really used her four's ability to to kind of tap into um making it a beautiful experience that when she was kind of afraid of it. Um do, do I see in the fours that I work with a little bit of like a fantasy rate where people say like, oh, I just want this like calm and peaceful environment. And I'm like, um, no, like it's, birth. <laughs> right, you know, right. it's primal, it's roaring, it's loud, it's often mundane and yeah. boring in between contractions, you yeah. know, yeah. when nothing's going on. If you get an epidural and you're a four, you're like super bored. You're like twiddling <laughs> your thumbs, like what in the world is going on here? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so some of the things that I felt like in the birth room with Lindsay and like with the other fours is that I just kept reminding her how extraordinary mm. bringing being a vessel to life is yeah, and bringing life into true. this world and like there's nothing ordinary about that yeah. yeah that's beautiful that's that's perfect um and i think also like what you did so um artistically there is that you you heard and you understood her um, desire to be special and meaningful and significant in this relationship that she's giving birth to, too. I mean, you, you understood her, you sought to understand her. And that is a deep longing of the four, as well as something that they can sometimes resist because that challenges their specialness. Um, But I think it's more 
even even with that little push pull, I think it's it's incredibly supportive to to do the work to try to understand the four. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to type five. <laughs> Back to the five. Yeah. So we touched on it in the beginning. And, um, you know, type fives, the observer, the investigator. This one, one client was a wing. So like she couldn't decide if she was a five or six. Like I said, I couldn't find any fives, y'all. Okay. So this one is called the K. And K was like, well, sometimes I'm a five and sometimes I'm a six. But the way that she labored was for sure a five. So that's okay. why she got she got thrown into like her wing role for this one because she was like a hundred percent a type five when she birthed. So tell us all about the fives that we a little bit more than what we heard at the beginning. Sure, sure. So yes, that um, that view of the world as intrusive, as demanding, as overwhelming um, really is, is kind of the suffering of the five. They have this beautiful gift of clarity. They have a very precise mind um, and just kind of this vast... Uh, like brain for knowledge. There's this knowing, but it's not just like all the stuff they know. There's also this, like, I understand that there's so much I don't know. Um, That is a deeply ingrained piece of the five. Um, And again, they see the world as overwhelming and intrusive and demanding. And so they really want to be self-sufficient. They don't want to rely on others in case then someone wants them to return the favor. Um, They fear that they don't have enough internally, whether it's expertise or energy or um, the capacity to withstand, you know, emotions in real time. Uh, There just is this fear that they don't have that capacity enough to meet um, life. And so they, they tend to withdraw. They tend to compartmentalize and really sort of section off like this is the situation. This is my feelings about it. And when I'm alone and nobody will be intruding on me, I'll go deal with my feelings. But in real time, I'm going to just sort of not even really be present. I'm just going to go through the motions. Um, And so that, again, that challenge for the five during labor is just that compartmentalizing, that withdrawing and shutting down um, in real time when things get intense and challenging or they don't feel competent enough. They don't feel like they've been prepared or they know enough to meet the next thing. Yep. And that's exactly what happened with Kay in her birthing time. She became a massive under communicator. She, I think the whole process was overwhelmed. And if you ask her, she'll say, oh, well, I hired a doula for Josh. <laughs> for her her partner and we're like Uh like not even owning that the doula was for her you know right right. um deeply intellectual did all of the research and the things that made Kay feel safe were birth plans and backup plans that were (laughs) evidence-based right like well we're gonna start here and if that doesn't work we'll go here and if that doesn't work and um 
And I will say, like, she didn't call for help until, like, the very end. Like, she uh-huh. went so inward. So that's mm-hmm. another thing. The birth team for a five, the few that are out there in this world. <laughs> but, like, you need you need to understand the stages of labor and recognize when your person is in labor and needs help. Because your five is going to get overwhelmed and shut down. And so yes. you're, if you if you need to help them, you got to be really in tune with them by understanding the stages of labor and where they're at in the labor process. Because like Kay, they're not going to be communicating with you where they're at. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're going to have to and just go with it. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, it is, I mean, it's almost, um, <clears throat> it's almost counterintuitive, particularly in an urgent kind of situation like birth, but to give the five space when they do go internally. So like you said, knowing the stages of labor, knowing your stuff as, um, as the birth support team is crucial because you, you can trust in your knowledge and the five is going to five. They're (laughs) going to go internal. Um, and trying to force them out is not going to be the move. Um, but just reassuring them that they, they have people who know what they're doing and they have enough to engage in this process, um, is going to be incredibly supportive of them. Yeah. I would agree with that for, for sweet K. So now that brings me to type six, which K has a little bit of also the loyalist and skeptic in her, but this one was named after one of my clients, Hallie and Hallie had a traumatic first birth. So it was interesting that the core fear of a six of being without support or being alone, it's exactly what happened to her in her first birth. And so tell us a little bit more about the six and then I'll tell you some more about Hallie. Yeah. So that, that core fear for the six, um, is that of being helpless and abandoned and without support and really at its like core of that core is, um, is an, a fear of trusting in themselves. Uh, they see the world as this very dangerous place and they're not wrong. We live in a dangerous world. Um, and they are afraid that they do not have what they need to keep themselves safe in the world. And, and that is why they end up being these incredibly loyal people, these incredibly prepared people, because they're preparing for the worst case scenario. um, And they are loyal to others. So others will be loyal to them and the others will protect them. Um, But they don't trust in others (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they don't totally trust in themselves that they have thought um, about everything that could possibly go wrong and properly prepare for it. I'm so curious to hear Hallie's story because what I, what sixes often forget is that they have survived. They have been okay. Yeah. Well, and I have a question for you on sixes too. Like, do you see that with the Enneagram, this is how we're born Or do you see like, like six to me, like screams 
trauma survivor. Sure. Like anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, sure. chronic depression, right? Sure. Like, so sure. anyway, I just was wondering your um, opinion on that as a practitioner. Sure. Is that, is this how we're born or is the world in which we live in create the, in our Enneagram type? So I align with what, um, with what most sort of traditional teachers would say, which is that we are born our type, but our experiences in life are going to impact the rigidity of our patterns, hmm. like how stuck we get. Okay. Um, so a six who has experienced a lot of trauma, um, the, the structure that already exists to protect them is going to be that much more cemented. The patterns that exist are going to be that much more pronounced and automatic um, versus, and you know, none of us have a perfect holding environment. None of us have perfect parents. And this is not a like trash your parents kind of <laughs> <laughs> take, you know, our parents are, are wounded people too, and they're just doing their best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because a lot of the patterns and the, the, uh, um, <clears throat> really the like pathways that form in our brains, um, these are cemented when we are toddlers. So like before we understand what's going on in the world. So imperfect holding environment will reinforce what already what we are born with which is our type got it yeah i i swear i don't know if there's like enneagram therapists but um oh there are oh there are okay good because i was thinking about this and with hallie's story because like i said like basically her core fear as a six, this like skeptic that things could go right, being with, she was afraid of being without support and being alone. In her first birth experience, um, she had a very rare placental abruption. Her mm. uterus seized and um, she basically, you know, didn't have any support. She was alone, had to go back to the um, uh, operating room and it was you know, very, very traumatic. Okay. So then to go on to another pregnancy and to hire a doula and to create a birth team as the six where you've had a previous experience that reinforced, I guess, that rigidity. Right. She had to have so much time to prepare. So essentially like the day she became pregnant, she hired a doula. So that was like, so type six of her, you know, (laughs) and we talked and communicated all the time and we had to play out every scenario for her to feel safe. I was going to say how, so one of the other archetypal names of the six is the um, devil's advocate. Um, and just the, the like constant almost testing. And so I'm curious for you, like, do, do, I mean, you got interrogated. Like, oh, interrogated. Like it was like, well, at 20 weeks, what if this happens at 24 weeks, at yeah. 30 weeks? I mean, hospital bag packed in the car, car seat installed like at 30 weeks, like, yeah. like, okay, well, what if the baby has to go to the NICU? So essentially what we did for su- birth support for a six was extra prenatal visits, establishing our relationship very early on. So Mm -hmm. that she understood that she was safe and that she wasn't going to be alone no matter what path unfolded. But Mm -hmm. like, I mean, she really 
dug under the hood of like every scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and my job was to help her focus on her body, having innate wisdom and being able to give birth. Yes. And, um, and because her body didn't do that the first time. So yeah. really having an abundance, I would say as a labor support guide, having an abundance of time to prepare Mm -hmm. and to think about it and then to have people around you that can advocate for you and that will show up for you. So like as the doula, I knew like, don't wait until she's six centimeters dilated. Like when she has her first contraction, be by her side, even if you have to be there for 40 hours, you know, type thing. So she ended up having a beautiful, beautiful um, vaginal birth. It was very redemptive and healing and all the things that she needed it to be as a six. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's, that's incredible. And Um, and like exact, I mean, you nailed it, right? Like you were by her side, you communicated with her communication and honesty is so important for the six establishing trust and honoring that trust. Um, and walking with her when in, in this, like I can, in her redemption, in her, in her body's ability to do, um, what it needed to do and keep everybody safe you know, hurry and the baby safe. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. And it did it. So, um, so my favorite type, (laughs) I wonder why the seven, (laughs) the enthusiast, the Heidi, Mm -hmm. I also named it after a client because I wanted to give the perspective of like what it was like to support a seven. Um, even though I am a seven. So tell us all about, tell, tell me about myself. Tell me about a seven. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, type sevens are the party people of the Enneagram. They are um, just a blast and a half. Um, but really the beautiful gift of the seven is potential, innovation, expansion. Um, these are incredibly creative folks. You know, I made a joke at the beginning of, of our recording about leave it to a seven to be on the frontier, but like really and truly, Sevens are a thousand miles out in front of the rest of us. These folks are on the cutting edge of what's next and what's needed. Um, And they just like, they see the world in HD, you know, it's like everything has potential. Um, But the, the trap for the eight or excuse me for the seven is the, this fear, right. That um, the world accepts mediocrity it accepts disappointment. Um, the world is okay with potential not being realized. The world is okay with deprivation and the world wants to limit me. Um, I'm not going to be able to experience the fullness of everything that I can see because the world is trying to put a damper on that. And maybe there's something within me that limits my ability to, to, express my potential. So sevens are going to avoid anything that feels limiting or painful or like they're missing out. Um, they are gonna, they're Houdinis, right? They're going to wriggle out of traps and, um, limitations. Yep. And I, I'm going to tell you about Rachel and a little bit about myself too, as a seven 
and in this how this plays out in the birth space okay yeah as a seven and this was when Rachel hired me it's like she really wanted to have an unmedicated birth and to have spontaneous labor but then also simultaneously was completely afraid of like not being able to move her legs and it's like, I don't want to feel pain, but then I don't want to be able to be trapped in the bed where I can't move my body either. So like inhibiting like the experience in some way. So right, right. it was just, it's so funny because it's like with sevens, it's like they want everything, but it's like, but you have to choose something. Like I can't take away your pain and get your body to move at the same right. time, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, so, and then the other thing is, is that, you know, with Rachel is it was like, okay, well, I'm going to take hypnobirthing and I'm going to take Bradley method and I'm going to take birthing from within and I'm going to take Lamaze <laughs> and I'm going to take like, I'm going to sign up for all the classes because I'm just, I just really want to be like, I don't want you to put me in a box of like, I have to birth like this way. I just kind of yep. want to know like all the possibilities of the types of ways in which you can birth. And then like, and then I just kind of want to see what happens, you know? Um, and what happened <laughs> yeah. for Rachel was an induction that led to a C-section. And mm -hmm. I always like joke with her now as I'm like, what, how, how much more seven could you get of like experiencing everything unmedicated, yep. then medicated, then trying to push a baby out, then ending in the OR. Like that's so seven, <laughs> like you want to experience it all. You experienced it all. You know? She really got the birthing sampler pack. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think the way that we help sevens is to try to like really to encourage them to not just buy all the books and sign up for all the classes, but actually read, read one of those books or do one of those classes, like yes. ex execute rather than just think about all the cool things that you could do to prepare for your birth and make a seven nail down birth preferences. Cause they're going to mm -hmm. want to just go with the flow and I don't want to be trapped by a birth plan. And what if I, yeah. this, but really though, how do you advocate for someone if you don't really understand what their true core wishes are? And they're verbal processors. So like a seven in a labor room is going to tell you every contraction they're going to tell you, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. This sucks. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And then you're going to be like, oh, so you wanted an epidural. And they're going to be like, no, no, I don't want an epidural. Like I'm doing fine. And it can get very confusing. So talking yes. to a seven in advance about like, what do you want for your body prior to being in the experience? Yes. You know, with Rachel, like once we got into the experience, it was kind of like all over the place, you know? Yes. And yes. so, um, uh, and also what I found is the complete rejection of authority. Now, Rachel's super smart. She's an attorney. She was one of the first women to um, uh, graduate from the Citadel. Wow. Like the t first, one of the first seven um, graduates, like, but still like, you know, she just wants to be in control and like, you know, the healthcare provider comes in and you can see like the, uh-huh, 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 yep. but like yep. still rejecting everything that's being told to her. Like, you know, yep. like, hey, I think we should go back for a C-section. It's like, well, but, do you, right. you know, right. um, type of thing. So really helping a seven understand like when, 
a healthcare provider is giving authority that's going to help you not hurt you. Yes. And it's really, it's really funny to, so just reflecting that, that rejection of authority, like a six might do that as well. An eight will very likely do that, you know, and it's all, there's different reasons for it, right? The six might reject the authority because they don't trust the authority, the, they don't trust them to keep them safe. The seven is going to probably reject the authority because I don't want you to limit or like, what if there's a better option? What if there's a second opinion? And the eight is going to be like, don't control me. Don't try to tell me what to do. So it's just really funny how that, that one sort of, um, action of like rejecting authority can be, there's a very specific motivation behind it, which is going to determine the type or reveal the type. Yeah. And that brings us to you. (laughs) Speaking of the challenger, the eight. The pain in the ass. Oh my Um, gosh. And this, so this could be called the Liz. It could be called the Nikki from the trauma podcast, but in the birth world, I call it the Abby. Mm -hmm. And oh man, my Abby, she's so, she's so innate. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the eights. The eights. So, um, eights are, we're, we're just like large and in charge personalities and energies. Um, we have a wonderful gift of empowerment, of strength, of immediacy, of decisiveness. Um, but we perceive the world as a place where um, the strong, uh, the, particularly the ones who hold power and capital, take advantage of the vulnerable. And so that's how we're, that's what we're always scanning for. Who's in charge and are they being responsible with that power that they have? Um, or are they exploiting others? Are they controlling others? Uh, there's a real fear around loss of agency, loss of autonomy, loss of control for the eight. Um, they really, they, you know, there's, there's a distinction that's often drawn, like the eight doesn't necessarily want to be in control, but they do not want to be controlled. And yeah. so in the process of labor, There's the fear of the loss of control. There's fear of loss of their own agency. Um, There's fear of their vulnerabilities. Like, what if I'm not strong enough to do this? Um, There's a lot that they can get trapped in. And so what they do is they'll deny. They'll deny their pain. They'll deny letting anybody close to them. Um, They'll reject authority. Um, they're, they're an intense force to be reckoned with on a good day, let alone in the midst of labor. Yeah. Um, intense force is exactly how I would, um, call Abby. She had had a very traumatic cesarean and in a true eight fashion, and this is hilarious. She's a doula. She hadn't hired a doula. So, so number eight, isn't that? Doesn't that track? Yep. We deny what we need. Yeah. She's a doula and didn't hire a doula. So anyway, she had a traumatic cesarean section. So she finally, like, you know, 1000 people convinced her to be vulnerable and to hire a doula. 
and to try to have a, a what's called a trial of labor after a cesarean, which hopefully leads to a VBAC, a vaginal birth after a cesarean. And so Abby's like, you know, she, she's so strong. She's the strongest advocate for herself ever. It's kind of like, don't get in her way, you know, when she's advocating for herself. But but it's like, doesn't want to have to do that. You know what I mean? It was like, she can do that. She can fight for herself, but like just really didn't, you know, want to do it. And so as her birth team, the number one thing you have to do for an eight that I have found in working with Abby and working with other eights is just help them surrender and let go. So the faster that they can get to their primal mammalian like birthing self and just out of their own head, the mm-hmm. easier it is to release control. It's like, how can you drug an eight without <laughs> drugging them? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like right. the eight becomes everything that you need them to be when they're wasted, you know, or you've put opioid pain medication inside of them. But like when an eight hires you as your doula and they don't want an epidural or opioid pain medication, it was like, okay, basically as the birth team, like that was what we were thinking. Okay. is like, how can we like, just like circle around Abby to like Mm -hmm. protect her and advocate for her so she can stop fighting. So she can stop fighting and she can just let go. You know, right. and yeah. um, and then that's what we that's what we had to do for her. And um, and in Abby's story, um, it it went like ten levels deeper, right? Um, her husband's a pastor; she's a very devout Christian, and um, her trial of labor took a dark turn, and it she was going to end in in the operating room in a repeat cesarean section, and um, the way that we supported Abby was reminding her about how much God loved her and that God was in control and that that there was nothing that anyone can do to help her or save her other than just keep talking to the to the um, God that created her and so um, that's what helped her is reminding her of her faith and allowing her to show her weakness and her fatigue to to this God that created her and loved her unconditionally and that was going to save her life and keep her protected even in the OR a second time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's perfect. Right. Like you named so much there, but there is, we are so as eights, we are so used to being the ones in control. We are so used to being these like stone pillars for everybody else. So by, by keeping her reminded that there is a power greater than her, that is in charge, that is holding her. It's a good strength that is wrapped its arms around her, that loves her, that will keep her safe. She doesn't have to be the pillar in this moment. She can surrender and it's okay. Um, she doesn't have to be the strongest one. Like that is, that is what the eight needs. We hate to admit it, that Mm -hmm. we actually need permission to not be the strongest one who's in control. Um, but that is, that is powerful. And that clears the way for, for the eight to surrender. Yeah. Well said. Okay, Liz, we're on the last one. I don't want our time together to end, but we I are, know. Uh, this is so fun, but we are on type nine. We are. 
Tell me all about the peacemaker. Yes. So um, type nines, uh, they have a reputation of being these easygoing, wonderfully receptive, you know, grounded, chill people. It's total bullshit. They're the most stubborn type on the Enneagram. <laughs> um, they are a lot of, a lot of teachers will say nine is actually the strongest type on the Enneagram, but they are strong like a mountain. You just can't move them. You just, you're not, if they don't want to do something, you're not going to get them to do what you want them to do. Um, they have this gift of a unity and an understanding of wholeness in, in, you know, disparate parts. They see the value in different perspectives. Um, but the trap that they fall into is seeing the world as this fragmented, broken place where, um, they don't matter. Like there's so much discord in the world, um, and they don't want to contribute to it. So they just kind of coast, um, they don't make contact with their own strength. They don't make contact with their own intensity and they kind of fall asleep to it. So they have a hard time identifying what is important to them. They have a hard time identifying even like what they're feeling in the moment. Um, and they want everybody else to know that they're important, but they, they sometimes believe that they are not important. And so they don't advocate for themselves or say like, Hey, this is what I really need in this moment. They hate the spotlight. They don't want to be the center of attention. And so, you know, birthing can be really difficult for them <laughs> labor and, you know, being the center of attention, being the most important one in the room, like that is such a, a friction against how they see themselves. Yeah, this was called the Abigail. And um, it was interesting because Abigail was in is one of my clients and she's like an Instagram influencer. And so like before I even met her in person, I was like a little intimidated by her because she had like so many followers. And I just like I think I was expecting like a seven. Right. You know, sure. and and then I met Abigail total nine. Okay. And the one thing about Abby and the other um, nines that I've worked with is the first thing out of their mouth is that they're leaning towards a home birth or a birth center birth. And then when you're like, ask them why it's because they, they don't like tension at all. And so when they start thinking about the fact that they may have to adhere to like hospital policies or procedures or something like that, they just start detaching. Like Stubborn. Abigail was like, yep. She was like, bye, I'm out. Just yeah. so you know, Abigail was at birth center birth because she was not going to go to the hospital and have to have any of that. Um, but in her labor, it, she was numbing out. She was detaching. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we often do. We go inward, no matter yeah. what type you are. We go inward. We go to labor land. We kind of start to detach. But this was like a different type of detachment, like yeah. a different kind, like so much peace, like both the grandmas were there being let into the room and, you know, heaven forbid we say one of the, the moms can't come in, you know? Yep. And so yep. like everyone was welcome. It was like, let me just make peace with my yep. husband's family and all of the things. Um, 
she was very strong and she was a fighter and like there was no possible, I mean, she was at the birth center, so there is no epidural, but like there was no possible way she was going to get an epidural or any of the things. But like when it came time for Abigail to birth, okay, so like her her body was taking over. It was doing all the things. It got her to 10 centimeters, right? But at some point, Abigail had to make the choice to give birth birth to, yep. to and I don't mean push a little I mean push your baby out into the world yeah and when those sensations happen and you're unmedicated your birth team has to get you to connect to your body to connect to the moment and to choose to become a mother right then yep you have to choose the birth and so bringing a nine into their body so that they can make that choice to feel Mm-hmm. Because even even Abigail, unmedicated, she had numbed all that pain away. Yep, they're really good at that. So I mean, seriously, it was like it was like yeah. not one contraction bothered her at all. Yep. But yep. we pushed for a long time because I had to have a come to Jesus with Abigail <laughs> about coming into her body, feeling and pushing through those feelings, and yep. and choosing birth. Right. Like choosing to just not be pregnant anymore, choosing to not be in labor anymore um, and knowing that she's important. She is so important and that 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 moment of birth is important. So that's how Abigail, the peacemaker, gave birth. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. It's it's bringing her into the present, into the intensity of it um, and reminding her like you you of any of the types are strong enough to do this um to show up right now right here and make that choice um and engage engage right now i mean that's so that to get into sort of traditional teaching engagement is the the virtue of the nine which is like showing up right now being right here and acting being a being an active participant in this yeah so those were just nine of my like probably thousand doula clients in my career but like I said as I'm even going through them with you Liz I can identify each of my beautiful clients and like how I was able to even before I was connecting the Enneagram and the personality types but like how as doulas and birth partners, we like we're chameleons and we change and we we just move in a way in which we have to support the person that needs support in that moment. And so I hope that everyone will download our guide on yes. your Enneagram type and what that means for the type of labor support that you need and share it with your yes. birth partners. Share it with your OBGYN. Share it with your midwife. That would just help them get to know you a little bit more and understand that you're not just like a number on a paper coming in here and that like you're a person and like these are your core fears. These are your core beliefs about the world. And these potentially are going to impact your birth. Yes. And if we're going to reduce birth trauma and we're going to support birthing persons, we need to know how to best support 
them and not everyone's a doula. So you guys grab your guide at birthstory.com and then check out Liz Orr's Rude Ass Enneagram and look on my page too on birth.story.academy for our graphics because they're incredible. So Liz, thank you so much for being here today. And if anybody wants to take a quiz because you have no idea what your Enneagram is. (laughs) Yes. Where should we go? Um, eclectic energies. I'll give you the website so you can put it right in the show notes. Um, that that's probably one of the best ones that I've seen. And the way that I would regard the test is it helps narrow down some options. It may not be perfectly diagnostic, but it narrows down a few options and then you can do a little more research into it on your own. Awesome. Okay. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Liz. And we will be in touch. I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Heidi. This is always a blast. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. Okay, I have a really amazing discount for you guys with anjahealth.com. So it's A-N-J-A-Health.com. They are my exclusive partner for cord blood and tissue banking. If you've listened to episode 88 of the podcast, where I interview the CEO, Catherine Cross, all about cord blood and tissue banking and the 1,000 questions that I had. My child has cerebral palsy, from a birth injury. I cannot go back in time. It is one of my greatest regrets. So I partner with Anja Health because I'm so passionate about cord blood and tissue banking, and I really want to teach you guys all about it. Code Birth Story gives you the biggest discount that there is available, and they are committed to Birth Story always being the biggest discount. So right now, it makes your kit only $20, which essentially covers shipping. So it's $180 off with Code Birth Story. So please consider cord blood and tissue banking. Look at AnjaHealth.com. Again, it's A-N-J-A Health. Dot com. And if you are going to bank your cord blood and tissue, then please use code birth story. So you get the biggest and best discount that is available.